Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, I'm Carrie Lucas, Managing Director at the Independent Women's Forum. Today, I'm here with our very own Hadley Heath Manning, Director of IWF Health Policy Policy Project. And we're going to be discussing the ramifications of the latest Supreme Court case related to the Affordable Care Act, or better known as Obamacare. Hadley, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Carrie. So, you know, people hear so much about our health care system and debate about its status. It can be really confusing. So first, um, can you tell us a little bit of, of background about the case that was called King v. Burwell? Um, who exactly was suing whom, and what was that all about? Right. That's the latest Supreme Court challenge that has to do with Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. And it has been ruled upon. The Supreme Court did hand down their decision. Uh, it was interesting because this case, you know, like most cases goes through our criminal justice system. It takes about two years for a case to reach the Supreme Court level. And I really didn't think it was receiving a lot of media attention until maybe this spring when the oral arguments were heard. And it, it is kind of confusing because essentially there were some some petitioners or plaintiffs, people who brought the lawsuit, and, the, and a great organization called the Competitive Enterprise Institute actually managed the litigation for them. But they are people who are affected by the Affordable Care Act, and they live in states that did not establish their own health insurance exchanges. And these exchanges were really at the center of the case because some states established exchanges, about 13 states, uh, like the state I live in, Colorado, we have our own exchange. Uh, and there's, again, about a dozen other states that do that. But most of the states, the large majority of states, about 37 don't have their own health insurance exchange. And the debate, or really the issue, the question in this case uh, was, does the, the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, have the authority from Congress to hand out subsidies and tax credits through exchanges that are established by the federal government? Because, of course, when a state decides not to establish their own exchange, the federal government steps in and does this for them. So there was all this money flowing out of the Treasury that the IRS said, yeah, this is okay. They made their, their own rule about it, basically saying, uh, even though the law itself says the subsidies and tax credits are only available in state-established exchanges, uh, we're going to let these subsidies and tax credits go out through the federal exchanges as well. And uh, really, yeah. a, a bigger question is, you know, how do these subsidies trigger other parts of the law? Because even though the Affordable Care Act is really big, there's a lot of moving pieces and they all kind of feed off of each other. So the employer mandate, individual mandates would have been affected in those 37 states as well. But ultimately, the Supreme Court sided with the government and said it was OK for the IRS to interpret the law in this way and to send out those subsidies in all 50 states. Okay, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I feel like from the kind of the news coverage, the only thing we it was really clear and kind of easy for people to understand is that supporters of Obamacare won, um, and the subsidies that had been in question were going to continue to move forward. So really, um, Obamacare was going to be continuing business as usual. Was it was that kind of the bottom line? Was there anything else important about how the Supreme Court ruled in this case? Yeah, you know, it's funny, the parties to this case, because everybody thinks of the challengers as people who want to get rid of Obamacare. Um, but from a legal perspective, they were the people who are actually asking the Supreme Court to, to enforce Obamacare as it was written, to go by the book, to go by the statute, the letter of the law, or what we might call rule of law. And so from a legal perspective, that was really the issue. You know, does the IRS have the authority to make decisions like this, or did they have the correct interpretation? And for people who are real legal eagles, I guess we could point out that 
they, the Supreme Court didn't call upon what's called Chevron deference. They didn't say that the IRS had authority to make this decision or had authority to change the law in any way. They simply supported the IRS's interpretation of that part of the statute. And they said there might be more than way to, one way to interpret this, but the IRS did what they should have done. So it's probably good that the Supreme Court didn't say, oh, yeah, executive agencies like the IRS have the power to change laws and um, just to, to yeah. implement laws however they want to. Uh, but they're in charge. Congress is still ultimately in charge of making the laws. But this certainly weakens the rule of law when we see an executive agency doing something that, you know, is questionable whether or not they're making the right interpretation. And it's worth pointing out that three of the Supreme Court justices wrote a minority opinion saying that they disagreed with that interpretation. So we have nine of, you know, the best lawyers in our country who sit on the Supreme Court or Supreme Court justices. And, and six of them said that they supported what the IRS did, but then three of them said they didn't. Okay, yeah. Well, I guess it is a silver lining um, if at least we, um, at least there was, they pretended that the IRS was, was reading things the right way, so at least we're supposedly supposed to still live under the rule of law, even if they're given a lot of latitude for interpreting it. But now, as far as oh, how Obamacare functions, I understand that, um, uh, that this is going to, this means that subsidies can continue flowing. Um, what else does this mean for everybody who's living under Obamacare? I know there was some kind of um, concerns that you are we full, in full implementation or is there more changes coming down the road? What, um, where are we kind of in the terms of, of how um, of Obamacare being put into practice? Right. Well, I think King versus Burwell is a good example of one of the many, many ways Obamacare has, has been disputed and perhaps changed during its implementation because you have this law that was written that's maybe two or 3,000 pages of legislation, but there's also maybe 20,000 pages of, of regulatory rules that are being written about Obamacare. Uh, and so people are always questioning, you know, when is the deadline for that? What, what's the latest delay? You know, there's the employer mandate that's been pushed back twice because the White House doesn't want the, the negative impact of the employer mandate on the economy. But the bottom line is, yes, there's a lot of people, millions of people who are in the exchanges and they're receiving taxpayer-funded subsidies or tax credits. And to them, it might feel like, you know, this King versus Burwell ruling is a big relief, that they aren't going to lose their access to that subsidy. Um, but, you know, I think it also is a, is a revealing thing. It's a revelation to a lot of Americans that somewhere around 85 or 90 percent of people who are buying Obamacare plans are, are dependent on a subsidy or a tax credit to be able to afford it. So that sort of calls into question whether or not the Affordable Care Act is truly affordable for most people. Um, because even if you have a subsidy, that doesn't mean that, that you, you know, the price that you're paying, the subsidized price, that's not the end of, of the issue. There's someone else who's picking up the rest of the tab. And it's, it's still a huge cost for our government's huge public cost. And I think it reveals that the root causes of our problems in healthcare and our high costs in healthcare haven't really been addressed by the Affordable Care Act. So it is going to continue on, you know, being implemented. And a lot of people are living with the consequences of that, not just the subsidies, but a lot of rules, a lot of mandates, a lot of regulations on health insurance companies, how they can do business. And of course, um, for millions of Americans who have to pay a penalty if they don't buy insurance, or uh, they have to pay a penalty if they don't provide insurance for their workers, that's the employer mandate, and then the related penalty to that. So that was going to change if King won, if, if the challengers in this case won, there would be 37 states where effectively the employer mandate would not be in effect. And there'd be millions of people who wouldn't have to pay those penalties for the individual mandate as well. But instead, because the government won this case, uh, those things are going to continue on being implemented just like they were. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think some of us who had, um, who think the, the law takes us in the wrong direction, we've been kind of hoping that the Supreme Court would, would save us from some of the worst consequences. And it seems like 
you know, that hope has gone and gone or gone away. Um, you know, so what what do you think? Is that something you know? Is that um, you? I mean, what 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 hope do we have left then? Well, you know, it's interesting the the politics and the political side of this. I think if if challengers would have won, if King and the other plaintiffs or petitioners in the case had won, then what we would have heard from the mainstream media was that, you know, these evil conservatives brought this Supreme Court case and they took subsidies away from helpless, marginalized people. And and the mainstream media, the main story we would have heard about the case, um, I, I believe, would have been sad stories about people who are losing the subsidies that we wouldn't have seen as much coverage or balanced coverage about people who uh, would no longer be impacted by the employer mandate or the individual mandate or the so-called winners who could have benefited from a king victory in this case. So I guess if there is a silver lining, you know, we ha- we get to avoid having that conversation about people losing subsidies and whether or not we needed a transition program or a bridge program to, you know, move those people out of Obamacare, help them transition to being able to afford their own health insurance coverage. I think that could have been a big opportunity, but certainly from a PR perspective, it would have been a challenge for Republicans, a challenge for conservatives to explain that. And so right now, a lot of the problems in our healthcare system uh, that are caused by Obamacare, people, it's still very clear to the American public that the problems in our healthcare system, a lot of them predated Obamacare, but Obamacare is to blame for making them worse. And so it, it leaves it a very simple equation for people to figure out politically, you know, why there are problems. I think after a King victory, we would have seen basically two different Americas. We would have seen the 13 states who had their own exchanges and maybe some more states would have decided to establish. And we would have had states who who continued to refuse to do that. And so you would have this uh, bifurcated system. And I think it would have made for complicated politics to explain to people, you know, who's to blame for what, who's to, who are the good actors, who are the bad actors. And so I guess if there's a silver lining, we, we get to avoid that tricky political football. Yeah. You know, it seems like in, in some ways, I feel like now... Um, it really has set up this. Uh, this means that uh, the next election is absolutely critical for um, for the future of our healthcare um, system and for our really our country um, because um, uh, certainly we know the Supreme Court is not going to be able to step in and, and save anybody from Obamacare. That means that if America wants a different system of, of um, healthcare, they need to elect different leaders. Do you think that's kind of um, where we are in terms of the cause of appeal? Yeah, you know, I think we're going to continue to hear a lot of the same messages from both the right and the left. People on the left, after the King versus Burwell case, they say, oh, well, Obamacare is here to stay. Any efforts at repealing it are just moot points now. No point in trying to do that because the Supreme Court has yet again upheld Obamacare as a legitimate law, and uh, and they say people are benefiting from it. And then on the other hand, you have people on the right who are arguing that actually there's been more people harmed by this law than helped by this law. And if you look at what's happening in the health insurance industry and the healthcare industry, I mean, we continue to see a lot of rising costs. Just right after the decision in early July, health insurance companies announced that they were seeking rate increases of 20% to 40%. Or more, and so uh, some of those those root causes again, those problems in our healthcare system aren't getting solved, and they continue to get worse and worse. And so, I think a lot of people will be making the decision about you know whether or not they they are for or against Obamacare based on their personal experience. And people who have seen premium increases, people who have gotten a policy cancellation, maybe lost a relationship with a doctor or been moved into a narrow network plan. Those people are really dissatisfied with the way that Obamacare has changed the system. And so that's going to drive, I think, the politics of the issue going forward. Um, and also the recognition, like I said earlier, that subsidies are just another form of, of cost shifting. You know, we used to talk about cost shifting a lot. 
uh, before Obamacare because uninsured people might go to a hospital and consume care and then they couldn't pay for it and, and therefore people with private insurance would see higher hospital bills. Well, that still happens because there are still people without insurance. There's you know going to be always um, 30 or 31 million people without insurance even a decade after the implementation of Obamacare. But there's more cost shifting. Even these subsidies are a form of cost shifting. Nobody's really attached to their own consumption when it comes to, to health care. So I think people recognize that there are ongoing problems in the healthcare system, and the question of how to solve it will be a big one for 2016 and for years after that. Sounds like it really is an exciting time in kind of healthcare. Where are some of the places that um, you think people should um, should go to to get more information on kind of the, the cause of repeal and the um, and the path forward, where to learn more about the better system of, of healthcare that we should be in, better healthcare policies that we should be hoping for. Right. Well, there are a whole host of great organizations that do work on the healthcare issue and try to explain, you know, the benefits of using market forces to put the patient back at the center of healthcare and health insurance to restore that that aspect of individual choice so that people can be, you know, in charge of making their own healthcare decisions and in charge of where their own healthcare dollars go. Um, but I do especially want to highlight our organizations, the Independent Women's Forum and Independent Women's Voice. Independent Women's Voice has a great project called A Bridge to Better Healthcare, um, and you can find them on Twitter at A Bridge to Better or on Facebook as well. And they have some good suggestions for, you know, principles that should guide our next steps in healthcare because, unfortunately, there seems to be this false dichotomy presented to people, right, that you can have Obamacare or you can have the system before Obamacare. And both of those options stink. So we've got to talk about, you know, where, where are we going in the future and, and what options, what better options can we offer people? And also at the Independent Women's Forum, we have, I'm excited to say that we have a, a series of videos that are going to be released um, just in the next couple of weeks called Straight Talk About Healthcare. And we follow a character named Beth as she deals with the healthcare system before, during, and hopefully after Obamacare, what some of those better options for a path forward could be. Uh, and our hope with this video series, Carrie, is, is to explain to people that although a lot of our healthcare problems predated Obamacare, you know, we have an employer-centric system uh, that takes that choice out of the hands of individual workers often and puts it in their boss's hands. Um, and we also have a lot of um, regulations at the state and federal level about what health insurance plans have to include. Um, that makes health insurance more expensive for a lot of people. Those were problems before Obamacare. Obamacare in many ways doubled down on those bad ideas and, and made it even harder for people who have to buy their own health insurance and make it harder for companies who are now required in many cases to, to buy a certain kind of government-approved health insurance, um, that, that all those problems represent too much government intervention in the health sector and that we haven't had a free market in healthcare. We haven't had that competition and that individual choice and that those are really the keys to restoring lower costs, higher value, and more individualized care in the health sector. So look out for that Straight Talk About Healthcare video series. I think those are going to be some great resources for people. Well, that all sounds great, Hadley, and, um, and thank you so much for all this information. And to those of you who've listened to this podcast, I thank you for your time. And please be sure to come back and listen to IWF next podcast soon. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by IWF.org for similar content.